0: What's up guys, welcome back to Rebranding Safety. Today we're talking to a rugby player, not just any rugby player, not just a fake rugby player like me, a professional Premiership and European Championship winning rugby player. That's right. Let's jump into the intro and I'll explain it all. The problem in safety isn't deviation, it's complexity.
1: Health and safety has gone mad.
0: Health and safety is trying to unpick having gone mad in the past. There's no one solution and one problem. The problem is that we are looking for one solution. Does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Feel safe enough to be uncomfortable. The environment defines our behaviours. People aren't the problem, they're the solution. Rebranding safety, crushing the stereotype. Brought to you by Risk Fluid. What's up guys, welcome back to Rebranding Safety, the podcast and YouTube channel doing exactly what it says on the tin we do that through long form conversations interview like today on the podcast and do it by shorter tip toolbox talks tips and tricks etc on the youtube channel so if you're new here hit that follow button subscribe button bell button whatever the button is on your platform today we're talking to a professional premiership winning european championship winning rugby player turned into a leadership and culture Consultant, probably the best word to describe it, even though he didn't really consider himself a uh, consultant. Now, please don't go anywhere just because I said I'm talking to a rugby player because you think, oh, he's gone off tangent, he's not talking about safety. There is so much in managing the culture of a rugby team that translates into whatever you want to call it, safety culture or culture or whatever. This stuff works. This is you have to stop thinking about. It's a safety podcast. We're just going to talk about risk assessments and method statements from safety two and safety one and like the, the, all this stuff translates. And there is bits that we can take from sport and learn from sport and implement in what we do. So please, please bear with this and and, and kind of skim over the. the the rugby phrases and terms and names and teams I think about what we're actually talking about which is culture and leadership and creating an environment which enables people to perform whether that is in the corporate environment or in the oil and gas environment or in manufacturing or in sport, it's all the same. This guy caught my eye because somebody shared this video about talking about leadership and the team that he played for is the team that I talk about quite a lot in training or in keynotes or whatever. And and I mention it because every interview I've seen, every Instagram video I've seen, every blog I've read about this team, they all comment about the culture, about how they just don't want to go anywhere. And that resonates with how you see them perform on the pitch. So for me, like, yeah, I've just had them in my notes for a long time as, you know, if I ever get the opportunity to talk to somebody from that team, then then pounce on it. So I saw this person's video, they started a business um, called The Saracens Way. There we go. That's the team, Saracens, um, you know, massive, premiership winning, annoyingly good um, rugby rugby team. You know, as a Saints fan, pain, like real pain to get this gentleman on the podcast. Gone through a currently gone through a bit of a a scandal with salary caps so basically for those of you don't know rugby but there's a cap on the salaries that you can you can have within a team so basically you can have like two marquee players who paid a lot more than most so they're like normally like your big hitters or your big scorers etc or your your real international kind of amazing players other than that, there's, there's basically like a set level. I don't know the ins and outs on it, but basically there's a limit on how much you can spend, right? And it was found that Saracens were breaching that, which is a shame because it kind of tars everything that they've achieved over the months, and that everyone will say, um, you know, mm, it was all to the pay. But anyway, we'll talk about that in a podcast. We're also going to talk about um, player safety as well, which I think is really interesting, and you can't pass up an opportunity having a safety professional, or a professional rugby player in a in a interview and not talk about player safety so we talk about player safety as well but who is our guest our guest is a saris through and through like you cut him in half he's black and red is that their colors yeah black and red you know he's there throughout the whole thing, um, as are most of the Saracens players really, and he'll tell you his story, um, but you know he suffered a bit of injury through the time, but you know it just does not take away from his victories, you know he's held that Premiership trophy, he's held that European Championship trophy and it's just phenomenal achievements, and now he's got a business called The Saracens Way, which he runs on helping businesses kind of work through leadership and culture and just improve your kind of performance efficiency through efficiency, through looking after your people essentially. So without further ado, let's get into today's podcast with Will Fraser, Premiership and European Championship rugby player. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you a shameless sponsorship clip in all seriousness guys we partnered up with drm group you know david mclean has been on the podcast time and time again we absolutely support his message and he's got a brand new online course to help you i'm gonna let him tell you all about it now the brain can be trained to think and behave differently to think in more positive and optimistic ways and there are steps that you can take to train your brain to feel good for good and we call this lasting positive change through our 16-day program, which includes daily videos and action sheets, taking you no longer than 15 minutes to complete a day. You will learn how to move away from thoughts of anger, hopelessness and frustration, to a place of mental well-being and positivity. Okay guys, so if you're interested, you can click the link below and get a discount, special rebranding safety discount, full disclosure. We get a little bit kickback from that. So at the same time as improving your mental health, you can support your favourite health and safety podcast, and YouTube channel. I'll let you get back into the content. Cool. Right. Well, I never ever thought I would have a premiership Winning rugby player on a health and safety podcast, but welcome to the podcast. Thank you
1: very much. To be honest, I never thought I'd be on a health and safety podcast. So <laughs> I'm like, Two of
0: well, you're joking. You, you you didn't turn up at Sari's on the first day and be like, one day I'm going to go on a health and safety podcast. Yeah,
1: I went straight to the media team when I saw my first fresh of contract and said, if there's one thing I want to do, put me on a health and safety podcast for sure. <laughs>
0: Oh, I believe you. I believe you. Yeah. Do you want to give yourself an introduction, those you, those you don't, know, for the people who don't know who who you are?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, so my name's Will Fraser. Uh, I'm an ex-professional rugby player for Saracens. Um, very fortunate to win both European um, and Premiership trophies whilst I was playing for the club about two and a half years ago now, um, or maybe just more, uh, had a bad neck injury that forced me to retire from professional rugby. And since then, um, I've been running the Saracen's Way, which is essentially a programme, kind of management consultancy business, where we look at what's made the club successful and how that translates into uh, the corporate world, um, which has been more difficult of late, not just because of Coronavirus But because of uh, Recent issues That have happened With the club nice. um, But challenge unless Yeah So that's kind of A synopsis on me If you like
0: Awesome uh, let, let, Let's Call the elephant In the room then So obviously yeah. sorry, sorry Let's get it out Of the way we, So we don't have To come back To it again cool. So I would, I would be amiss if I didn't mention it. but I, And I'm going to mention it. We, we've, yeah, to be up front, we spoke before and double check mm. that you're happy to kind of chat about right. it. I don't want to go into it too much. But I do feel like it's, it feels a bit of a shame because it, it will inevitably tar the kind of good that they've done all the time. So we'll talk about, and I still think it stands, everything that we'll talk about, but we'll talk about kind of the culture of salaries and everything I've kind of heard over the years of, of how impressive that culture seems to be to develop that kind of that amount of talent and to win that much silverware and just be goddamn unbeatable sometimes as a saints fan which just pains me um mm-hmm. but it it's it's gonna come back to a point where people are just gonna say well that's because they're all paid loads and but it's yeah. not just the pay is it like can't be just that that keeps people in a, in a job
1: no, 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 not at all. I think it's, um, you're right, the, the, the sad part about it is, um, and understandably, it does undermine kind of everything we've done the last the last 10 years and for those of us that were fortunate enough to be part of the club throughout that 10 year period, um, it does kind of tarnish and, and tar what we were able to achieve with the club. That's the sad part about it. The, the reality is, you're right, it's not, money doesn't keep people money doesn't keep you at a job for 10 years. There's got to be more to life than just money. And the reality is actually, you yeah, know, there's loads of detail to it and salaries and, and, and these investments and all the rest of it. But, um, the reality is it had absolutely bugger all to do with why we are successful. Um, I know being part of the club from kind of what we call the revolution back in 2009 and we had this massive kind of change at the club um, in personnel and culturally I know the work that went into making that a reality I know how hard I worked throughout that successful 10 year period how hard all the players worked the coaches, the staff and what really made us the club we are. I know that, all the players know that Um, and to be completely frank it had nothing to do with the salary cap stuff. Um now to caveat that by no means is that me saying that we we're innocent, right? That's not what I'm saying at all. Clearly we've been caught, clearly we were wrong, we shouldn't have done what we've done. That's very black and white for all to see. Um but yeah, the sad bit as an ex-player is is kind of thing I said, is that it, it does undermine what we've done. And I I know we've spoken a few of us ex-players actually spoke about it and just said we kind of because it is sad for us because we can't do anything about it. And you wanna be, you see your best mates kind of getting dragged through the mud and you wanna be there to help and do what you can. And uh, Adi Hargreaves actually said to me, he said, look, at the end of the day, the only thing that matters is that we know what we did. And we know, as I say, we know how hard we work, we know the effort we put in, we know what's gone into creating this club that we created. And that's the most important thing. And that, that, that's, that's been quite useful for me personally to kind of remember. Um, but at the end of the day, we were wrong and we got caught for it and we got punished for it. So we now need to, as a club, accept that, deal with it and move forward and try and get back close to where we were pre of this stuff.
0: Mm. And I think in, if you compare it to to what we what see in well, right now, if we were playing rugby, but like Leicester Tigers, you know, they've, they've got a phenomenal collection of players, you know, yeah. debatable the England fly off depends on what, what yeah. side of the fence you're yeah. on. Um, yeah. And then you've got, you know, probably what UK's best winger there and mm. just an absolute ream of talent yet they're not performing. For me, when I look mm-hmm. at that, I just think, well, there's got to be something wrong in the camp, like in the culture side of yeah. it. Because, let's be honest, George Ford's getting paid a lot of money. I mean, I don't know. Johnny May's going to yeah. get... I know Johnny May's just announced that He's moving on. But mm. it, it was... Um, you know well, Those people are going to be paid a lot of money. And there's there's reams and reams of talent in there. They're all going to be paid a lot of money. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Sar- we're not going to find out that Sarri's is not the only team that's done this, let's be honest. But to move on from that, it it's, you've got to be able to look at that and go well. There had to be something that salaries were doing other than just paying people a lot of money to one keep the talent, but to perform at that level for that sustainable yeah. as well. And that's got to be the culture.
1: And, and I think I think if you look at if you look at any sustainably successful, let's take sports as kind of the, the conversation we're having now. The obvious example. If you look at Leicester back in the day when they were dominating Europe and the Prem they had a core of players that had been at the club for a huge amount of time. Some of them have only been at the club. If you look at WAS when they came through and, and had that ding-dong with Leicester for a good period of time, they're the same. The core of that team had only played for was and been at the club for a huge period of time. If you look at our squad over the last... not Don't take 10 years because we had a few years kind of building it, but over the last five to six years, the core of that squad have only ever been at Saracens, have only ever known Saracens and the reason i make the point is that you're right money money is not the main motivator or reason why teams are successful the reason teams are successful is because there's a huge amount of social cohesion within that group and you only create social cohesion by spending time with people getting to know them having face-to-face interactions and when you look at our squad you know the, the group i came through with so jackson george jamie faz you know, we've all been playing rugby together since we were 15, 16 years old. Those boys have played every Saracens game together. They've played England games together. They've played British and Irish Lions games together. Mix that in with your Brad Barrett's, Alex Goods, and these guys. Like the, the, the level of cohesion between those guys is phenomenal. And what that leads to is the ability to know innately how someone's going to react to a certain situation how to generally give feedback so that it's heard and used to get better um how to talk to someone in the heat of a moment in a big pressure moment of the game, whatever it might be and it's it's those tiny little things that add up to create this team where everyone's just on the same page everyone knows what they're doing they know what their jobs are they know what their roles are they know how to adapt if something goes wrong all these things that um everyone talks about but very few not just sports teams, but organisations, actually, are able to achieve because there's always this churn of people. So look at football. Very rarely in football do you get the same team that win the Premiership back to back. I know it's happened a couple of times with City and Chelsea, but it's quite a rare rarity. That's right. It's, it's quite not a rare
0: coronavirus.
1: No, no. But the reason <coughs> it's rare is because there's a constant churn of players. Every year, there's a handful of players that go out, and there's brand new players that come in. A manager, in the average lifespan for a Premiership manager, is like 1.1 years or something. Shocking. So, and 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 you look at Mark with us; he's been with us for 10, 11 years now. You look at um, Gatland and Edwards, and they were with Wasps; they were there for a decent period of time. Um, the same with Leicester, and 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 on, um, you know, the coaches they've had, and it's, and I think it's those things that people that when a team becomes successful, people look and they go, oh, what are they doing here and now? But it's not. It's kind of five years before that. It's 10 years before that. It's where is it built from? And, and you've got to be patient and allow that to happen. And if it looks like it's going wrong, arguably that's the time you need to go back to this even more and trust it even more and not make these wholesale changes. So, so yeah, so going back to your question, appreciate I've gone on a bit of a waffle there, no, but going back to the question, what makes successful Sustainably successful, not these one hit wonders that win the league once and then drop down to sixth or seventh, but sustainably successful teams is the level of cohesion within that group of people.
0: And, and it's good. You can well at least early on. And granted, I know now we're starting to see, which I think is inevitable, some players going out on loan and stuff like that. Which is, which yeah. I think is inevitable. I don't think you could have avoided it. And and to be fair, you know, everyone was quite clear um, early on that that's probably going to start happening. But when when we were still playing rugby before this pandemic came along, it, yeah, it, the the lads on the pitch just seems to be solidified. You know, it's not mm-hmm. like. Like you would see, you what you would expect to see was that uh, you know we're, we're most probably going to get relegated, which which would just be a shock to see Saris in the championship. But you know you're going to get you're going to get relegated. You would imagine to start seeing like you know fra- fractures in the teams and, mm. and performances and lack of motivation. But I mean, you are still winning games left right and centre and he was still just that same old annoyingly solid defensive line that you just can't get past and it it was just and I remember watching the first few games after all this was coming out and consistently just thinking Jesus these these Mm. core team of guys are just solid it's just like you say cohesion is probably the best way to describe it
1: yeah so I think I think what's interesting for us because when the initial stuff came out we still had a chance of staying up. Yeah. So we only got the 35 point deduction. Mathematically, we could still stay up. So there was this huge push in the squad to kind of say, well, let's take this challenge on
0: yeah. and
1: see what we can do. You know, let's just play. And if we can stay up. And and it is, you're right, it was a solidifying thing. And then, you know, we had a couple more punishments along the way. Um, and we didn't really get a chance to, you know, there was the um, the Racing Metro game at Allianz Park, which was the, the afternoon of the morning when we officially got told we had been relegated full stop and we managed to win that game. You look at that and you go, for the lads to have to deal with all that, you know, and it's it's the lads you feel sorry for because, you know, they're taking a hammering and they've got families and all this to think of. And so to deal with that and then put in that performance was monumental. And then the following week against Quinns, I think was when you saw the accumulation of all the stress and probably anxiety and anticipation kind of manifest itself and we got rightly hammered by by Quinns. It was a shame it was Quinns, I have to say from personal point of view, I would have much rather it was a different team, but that's a different, different case. Um, but I think I think the cha- but everything you said, that is our challenge now going forward, is actually in how we deal with this now will tell us how strong we were beforehand. So if we deal with it and the boys crack on with it and we get it back up next year or whatever, then what that tells you is clearly what we had was real and was strong and and was genuine authentic if touch wood it goes the other way then you'd start asking different questions about what the previous 10 years was do you know what i mean so i think for us you know we don't know we don't know what's going to happen is the reality of it we have no idea how things are going to plan out especially with everything's going on at the moment but you know for us that the challenge is how do we react to it do we do we go back what made us successful over the last 10 years and use that as a foundation or do we choose a a different path and for me personally um, the only way we deal with this is by going back to what we did over the last 10 years 100% going back to the culture going back to but not doing it externally or for show or for anything like this actually doing it for us you know what who are we now as a club what is our culture what do our values mean to us now because very clearly and very publicly they they've come into massive question you know when we've got these four words on our stadium everyone's kind of pointing going well you didn't really live by that one and, and rightly so so we have to internally first and foremost figure out well how do we want to use these going forward and, and that's that's a huge challenge but equally huge exciting because it gives us the opportunity to, to kind of you know reset if you like and actually start because we are a different club now to what we were 10 years ago 10 years ago quite frankly we were a rubbish rugby club and now 10 years on we're a very good rugby club that's been caught up in in quite a big scandal so we've now got to deal with these things and 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 it's in the i often talk to people a lot of the clients that i've spoken to since still came out the thing with culture and values is um i believe anyway they're very aspirational yes it's who you are but it's also who you want to be it's how you want to behave so Every every single time, every single person will fall short of values at some point in their lives. Um, clearly, as a club, yeah, you know, I've done it individually, we all have, but as a club, clearly, we've fallen very foul of our own values. But my belief is that it's not the falling foul of the values that's the problem. The problem is if you don't then use those values to get you back to where you need to be, mm-hmm. that's the issue. If you don't use those values, then they were never really there in the first place. But if you use them, that's that's the the telltale sign whether the values are real or not or whether your culture is real or not and whether the group is real or not and and that's a challenge for us now is actually how do we do that and we, we started the process of re-evaluating what they what they mean to us who we are as a as a club so it be really exciting actually to go through that and see where we end up
0: I love the way you talk about it I love as well you can tell that it's a strong kind of connection being part of sorry to the fact that you know you, you retired but yet you still refer to it as we. So you can tell that like yeah, you're, you're to have it, yeah. Yeah, that you're, yeah. you're so but if,
1: it? you know, it's for me personally, like I I didn't have a very smooth career in the sense that I you know, I was like your Jack Wilshire rugby. I couldn't piece more than five games together without needing surgery or, or something else. <laughs> um and on paper the club probably should have bitten me off when I was about 23-24 You know, I was a terrible return on investment. But they stuck by me, showed me loyalty beyond I ever deserved. When I had family issues with with you know, my brother's accident and stuff, the club were absolutely phenomenal during that whole period and, and even now. Um, and, you know, we, we got told as, as academy kids by um, our team psych at the time um, two bits of advice which I've always tried. One was you should always give more than you take. And I think with the club, I've always tried to give more to the club than what I've taken from it. But, with the kind of club it is that's been impossible to do because they've given me so much i could never really repay them for that um and the other one is you should always leave somewhere better than you found it and again it's that whole thing of i tried to do what i could to the club to leave it in a better place and when when i started and i think in doing those things actually you inevitably learn to love somewhere and the people i grew up with yeah you know, these are people i, I like i've no kind of qualms of saying it like i love those guys you know they're, they're my my best mates we've been through loads of stuff together and um so that affection for the club and which is why i think for us ex players why it was quite hard for a few of us to accept kind of what had happened with the saddle cap stuff mm. you know start you start looking at right well how has this happened who's done what and but the reality is it, is, it is what it is. It's now about how we, as I said, how we deal with it is what's important. Mm.
0: That's fascinating. So how, how do you, because I think from my point of view, I look at, listen to and look at a lot of stuff in sport and and there's a lot of people coming from sport now that are, are going to business conferences and we're starting yeah. to see that connection between what, what you're doing there, that kind of sustainable uh, performance relates yeah. to a business but so how, how do you take like that kind of 2009 journey at revolution like you're saying everything that you've yeah. learned and, and do it to businesses of Saracens way like how do you do that with your client
1: yeah so I, th- I think in, initially is um, it's the power of storytelling mm. so I think what's what's great about us is we've got a compelling story and arguably with everything's gone on it's become even more compelling because yeah. it's kind of like well how do you then? Um, but it's the power of storytelling so people people need something to hang their hat on they need proof that something works so it's all well and good saying you need to get on better with each other you need to understand each other on a deeper level than just colleagues because that will help you work better together but unless there's kind of the proof there for them to see an example of where that's worked then it's kind of it's a bit box ticking. so i think what we've got is that proof um and then it's very much kind of making the point that actually initially anyway in the early days the reason we became very good at rugby arguably in many ways had actually nothing to do with the rugby it was entirely to do with getting group by and getting shared values common goals getting you know this kind of same page mentality on bigger picture that it's not about me individually it's about the group and all these things which every organization wants to do you know there's not an organization out there that doesn't want to achieve those things so what our story demonstrates is the fundamental principles of of why we're successful are, are no different to any organization in any walk of life because actually the jobs are going to be the smallest bit of the organization you've got you know you've got these organizations with hundreds of employees or 10 employees you want to get all those employees excited about coming to work enjoying what they do caring about the people they do it with understanding the bigger objective of the organization so, so what we do is kind of take how we built that as a sports team, as a rugby team, how we went about that journey and then kind of applying it to the context of the client. And I make no bones about it. I am not a consultant by any stretch of imagination. You know, I am someone that used to chuck a ball around for a living. And now I basically talk about the place where I used to do it. But what we do is facilitate, okay, well, how do you perceive this? So when we talk around our purpose as a rugby team, this is what our purpose is, this is our why, this is why we get up in the morning and do what we do, what is your purpose? And until you know what individually why you get up in the morning, you can't ever buy into what the organisation are doing because you'll always have this difference of opinion and, and until someone else understands you as a person, how are they ever going to get the best out of you? So I often talk around this whole term of high performance in the corporate world um, as a complete oxymoron. Like, it just doesn't work because people say, oh, we want to squeeze every drop of performance out of our employees we want to be a high-performing organisation. Yet the majority of people in the organisation don't know what their colleagues' partners are called. They don't know where their colleagues grew up. They don't know why they're in that job in the first place. And for me, the biggest thing that impacts your performance at work is your personal life. You know, if you have a massive bond with your partner night like before, you're going to come in in a stinking mood. If your pets just died or you had a family bereavement, that's going to really impact you when you're at work. Now, if people don't know these things about you, they're going to assume that you're coming in a bit down, that you're just not being as productive as usual. So what then will happen is rather than reach out and ask you, "All are right, they they're point the finger, and say, mate, I need this in by lunch, like crack on. And all that does is put you in more of a negative spiral and the rest of it. Whereas if they know what your social norm is, they can see you're a bit down, How are you going you're right look take half hour go have a coffee whatever i'll cover you for a bit it's not a problem that then sends you the other way and i think this is where people don't understand is they think you know you need and it's not saying at all that you've got to bring all your darkest secrets into work with you and take all your work stuff back home but it's how do you create an environment where people feel comfortable enough that if they have an issue they can talk to someone at work about it where they feel comfortable enough that if they disagree with someone, they can tell them and it's not going to be taken personally and all the rest of it. And that's the whole side of it. So th- as I say, this high performance thing, you can't get the most performance out of someone if you only know half the person. Mm. So when people say well, we want to be high performing organization, the first question you should ask, go, well, how well do you know your employees? Mm. Or how well do you know your team? Cause until you know them well enough, you can't ever get the most out of them. So, um, so yeah, so it's 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 an interesting. It's been really good learning for me actually to to have to adapt the story into different contexts. Um, but yeah, I think what I've learned is that actually, fundamentally, successful sports teams, organisations, individuals fundamentally are successful through the exact same principles. The difference is just the context in which they then apply those principles.
0: Mm. It's kind of like it's it, it's all the same stuff, but it's it's less obvious in the corporate world. So. For example, like like you so when you were talking about the family's connection and, and because it's I've got like the rugby brain on, I was thinking like at, at Saints we had Louis Piccamel who mm. you know just broke my heart when he left because he was just phenomenal. I yeah. just loved the guy. But you know, he left and the story that we as fans got told was because, you know, his wife wasn't very happy living in Northamptonshire. Um, And and it's it's so fundamental, isn't it? Between from, from that kind of that point to say, well, if your home is not right, your head's not right and if your head's not right you're not going to perform it's the same with like we had we had George North you know was probably one of the best winger in the premiership for a long time you know we loved him towards the end of his Saints career was really not performing for us and he just wanted to go home back to Wales and now look he's back to fine form again performing performing like he was so there's got to be that connection
1: and you see it in football most obviously when you'll get someone that's Come from a lower league club, has been their best player. He goes in a big money transfer to one of the top mm. teams in the league and just kind of disappears. Like, take Danny Drinkwater yeah. or Ross Barkley, you know, for, for Leicester and Everton respectively. They were phenomenal players. Then they get signed for Chelsea. Um, Drinkwater, actually, they're both Chelsea. Yeah, they both got signed for Chelsea. You know, big money moves and Drinkwater in particular has just disappeared. Yeah. And then it makes you question, well, you don't just lose your talent. You don't just become a bad player. So what other factors are have, have causing to not hit the dizzy heights that everyone expects them to? And then you start bringing in and there's this whole thing of, um, which is really interesting, this argument between individual talent and team structures. Okay. So what makes somebody a good player? Is it their individual talent or is it the, does the structure of the team allow them to flourish? Does it mm-hmm. play to their strengths? So for me, you know i wasn't a very good rugby player you know i wasn't the quickest i wasn't the strongest or anything like that but i was part of a team part of a structure that allowed me to do what i did as best as i could mm. if You, if you pick me up and put me in a different take saints for example i probably would have i could very easily either just disappeared. Mm. because the way saints play doesn't you know and so so you start looking at that and you set into the corporate world and you kind of go well as a team have we created a structure of the team that allows everyone to be good at what they're good at or are we relying on the individual talents and it's that kind of yeah those dynamics again the crossover from sport into corporate where actually it's no different take the job out of it you're trying to create a system in both situations where you're allowing the people within it to be as good as they possibly can be so how do we do that and then we explore those sorts of things Mm.
0: and there's another thing you said earlier which i quite liked about like is that kind of creating an environment in which you're comfortable to be potentially like uncomfortable, you know, like challenging somebody, Uh, somebody saying, I don't know, it could be the finance director, for example, saying, this is where we are, blah, blah, blah. And the the director of safety for example saying, I'm not sure that's right. But it's being able to feel comfortable to first do the challenge, but then be challenged as well, because you've got those, value whether you call it values or or an aim as a business as Mm. this is where we're all this is where we want to go and i i find startups are quite good at this is because they're so small and they're so close it's we all we all buy into this business growing and being big or whatever we want it to be that we're comfortable being challenged because we're all aware Mm -hmm. that we're on the same train going the same direction trying to get to the same outcome essentially
1: yeah no, hundred percent. And a lot of clients we've had is that whole situation where they say, look, we started as this really small organization. We want to be different to all the bigger companies within the market and this, that and the other way, this brilliant culture. Everyone was on board and all the rest of it. And then you grow really quickly. And then when you grow, all that messaging gets diluted and the culture gets diluted. And all of a sudden you become the very organization you set out to be different from. Um and, and it is that exact reason And it's, you look again, any successful organization, sport, business, whatever, there is an inherent innovation and getting better and improving. And that only comes from questioning what you're doing in the first place. Mm. Um, and you know, if you ask someone why they do something and their answer is, well, it's just the way we've always done it. Then what that person is, is indirectly telling you is that they don't want to learn. Mm. That they don't want to get better you know and, and and things have to be done in the right way and when i think when people when you challenge someone or ask i think the problem is people take that very personally so again it comes back to this fact of knowing the people you work with because if you know someone well enough then you'll know that the only reason they're asking that is is actually because they want you to get better or they want to get better themselves or they want to help the organization and if you know that's the reason behind the question then you're much more likely to look into it and accept it and try and improve it if you don't know that about the person then naturally people go well hang on that's a direct kind of dig at me and what i do in my role so actually you know what stuff you i'm not gonna listen or what usually happens is they nod yeah sure no worries their heads going do one yeah i know what i'm doing leave me alone i'm fine And that's where then you kind of, as an organisation, get sorry. Bear with me. My dog's digging a hole in the garden. No, you're right. That's where you get to point in your organisation where you fall off a cliff without ever actually knowing you're on a cliff in the first place. Mm. And I think that's that's the danger. That's the danger of it. And then people go, I don't know what happened. I don't know how we got to this point where we've we've had this this big issue. And when you look back at it, everyone else will know. And you kind of go, Why didn't you say anything? Mm. Oh well, you know, I was afraid about the repercussions or. I might lose my job or this. And again, it goes back to that environment where people are comfortable to say everything. And it takes time. And you'll always, and you'll never ever, you'll never nail it. it doesn't matter who you are, how good you are, you will always still have people that will have issues. And there's actually nothing wrong with that because it's those people that almost keep you honest and keep you thinking and keep you going. But I, yeah. I think it's striving as much as possible to get as close to that nirvana, if you like, as you can.
0: There's there's so much into it and I do think that one of the reasons why I kind of, when I saw what you were doing with the Saracens way and I'd been talking about Saracens only from what I knew from a fan point of view but also from seeing the odd interviews and stuff and seeing Is he doing again. Yeah, no,
1: keep talking stuff. Yeah. (laughs) I've
0: I've got a dog, I know what they're like. Yeah, no, I know. Um, And they've, he's got a, so, so yeah, so the point was that uh, you know that I was looking at it and I always talk about it in work or in training. So we you've got to create that environment um, yeah. as, as a as a performing business, as you know, an innovating business, whatever you want to do. And safety is just one part of those. And I think safety, is, in my opinion, is just it's just good business. You know, there's an old old saying in the safety world: "Good safety is good business." But yeah. what, is, what does that mean? Well, if we were to look at the at the real crux of safety, it basically good leadership and, and risk management. Now every mm. business does that in a day to day basis. You go into the finance team, they do that. They're, the guy that yeah. takes risk in finance is celebrated mm.
1: um,
0: because you've made loads of money. Um, and, and a good leader is celebrated. But that's all that's all safety is. Yeah, we've become this kind of um we've become these kind of, you know, tick box people, etc. and not mm. oh, towering us all with the same brush. There are some good
1: ones. No, but yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Um,
0: and that that was why I, I thought, you know what? I need to get get Will on and have a chat about this, because it's it's just, it's an interesting, different way of looking at it, that all the stuff you're talking about all applies to health and safety, 100%. Yeah,
1: and and listen, it's also really important to stress that by no means am I saying this is how everyone needs to operate. It's kind of, you know, again, I'm a firm believer in in your product of your experiences and your environments. So my only experience and working environment has been salaries, mm. so kind of, that's all I know, and, and it, it's worked superbly for us, and that's how I believe things should be. But I'm not arrogant enough to think that's the only way of being successful. Mm-hmm. Um, so what we do is kind of we talk about oh, this is this is how we've done it, this is how we've gone about becoming successful, and actually this is how I think we could apply it to your your organisation or your world. Um, but within that we ourselves as a club we the players have a speaker series where we bring other people in to the club to guys people that have climbed everest magicians ceos people in the police to learn from their experiences and to learn how they've become successful because the second you think it's the thing with culture the second the second you think you've nailed it is the very start of your decline mm. you know it is it's 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 a living breathing thing you never complete culture it's is forever changing because external influences change people change ideas change you know um is look at our, our sport our sport changes every single year there's new rules there's changes in rules there's you know so you have to be governed by all that stuff and, and i think that's a really important part of any culture is having the adaptability and flexibility to move with the changes because the second your culture and values become rigid and stiff they can't flex they can't move they can't it's like a and excuse all the horrible cliche analogies, but it's it's like um suddenly putting foundations in for a, a sky um, you know, a skyscraper. If yeah. those foundations are obviously rock solid, but if they cannot move or the building cannot yeah. flex or tweak, the second a big gust of wind comes, the whole thing falls out. Mm. So they need to be able to move and they will never change. Like our values will never change. Who we are will never change, but we need to be able to adapt to the current situation and flex and tweak what we do to fit in with the outside world, but staying true to who we are at the same time. And I think that's the important thing is people need to organisations to find out who they are first before they can do any of that. You know, why are we here? What are we trying to achieve? And once you've got that common goal, that then governs everything you do. That's the question, you know, if you've got a big decision to make, is it in line with our purpose? Does, is it true to our why? Is it true to what we're trying to do? And if it is, brilliant. If it's not, okay, well, how do we need to change it? How do we need to flex it? Um, so I think that's a really important important part. And, you know, for people that are listening, I'd hate for people to listen and go, Christ alive, he's an arrogant so-and-so, isn't he? Because is? <laughs> that's not me at all. It's, it's you know, there's loads. You know, there's a hundred ways to skin a cat, isn't there? This is just the mm. way we've done it. And, you know, I'm a firm believer that it's a good way of going about things. Mm.
0: I, I I get what you're saying. I understand like the point of being thinking. Like you, there is a hundred ways to skin a cat, one hundred percent. But I do think there are there are fundamental consistencies in all of the what, what you know different systems or different models of leadership or whatever. You know, whether whether you were to call the Saracen's way, you know, a way to run a business, and then mm. you were to I don't know do do some other method and and some other kind of leadership method. They're all they've all got their consistent things and that they're kind of, you know, understanding the your the, your people and that, that family piece like you were saying is it's it's so interesting because Within safety, we've got this mediocre kind of training thing that's very popular called um, oil Managing safely, and we used to, I used to deliver that a lot. It's a very generic course, but yeah. I just used to when they, the stress thing came up, and we were talking about stress and wellbeing in there, and I used yeah. to say to people, "You know, when the last time you asked your the member of your team? Because it was managers that were in it, a member of your team." Yeah. Yeah, how, how are you? And they were like, oh, like 10 minutes ago or an hour ago. But when did you mm. say it and actually mean it? Or did you go, yeah. hey, Will, how are you? By the way, have you done that yeah. report I need you to do? Like exactly. it's a different thing. It's like, hey, Will, how, how are you? How's the wife? How's the dog, Etc. or yeah. whatever it is.
1: It just becomes a box ticking exercise. And, and, and what happens is if you actually just take five minutes to have a conversation with someone, you learn more about them. And what happens is you actually then want to have a conversation with them. Mm because you learn more about who they are and then you find some common ground or you know, you've know you watched the same movie over the weekend or whatever it is, then you actually want to go and spend time with them. And then you start to form a proper relationship. So there is an element of kind of forced fun, if you like, to begin with, of actually making a conscious decision to go and have a conversation with someone. But the more you do that, that then becomes a very natural and organic process where you, what you'll find is you're having a conversation with someone naturally without even realizing that it's kind of a thing and then what that then leads into is what we the conversation we had just before this around when a problem comes up because you're you know if if you're much well some people argue either way but i think it's much easier to go to a best mate and tell him that he's being a dick than it is to someone you don't know
0: yeah
1: you know and and if you take that kind of quite crude analogy into the workplace it's much easier to tell someone you know and like that they've done something wrong Than it is someone that you've never even really spoken to before
0: No, I agree I agree. It's yeah. create, Again, it's coming back to that point you said earlier. It's like creating that environment where you're comfortable to be uncomfortable, isn't it? It's an uncomfortable yeah. thing to tell your best mate you being a dick. Oh, it depends on how, how good your relationship yeah, is. Yeah, 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 yeah. And what they've done, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but you've got to be able to create that relationship, I suppose. And I think all of this works um, for, for any kind of business. And I think once we stop thinking about health and safety as a standalone thing, and we start yeah. thinking, thinking about it and how you're talking about business is just we're just talking about leadership acknowledging Mm. a risk and building a business that is resilient enough to to adjust and adapt to those risks whether it's a financial risk whether it's scandal whether it's to brand whether it's health and safety it doesn't matter it's all the same
1: yeah you almost take you almost take the self and safety part out of it and you just Mm. look at the group of people there well how do you get this group of people to buy into what we're trying to do Mm. and then you add in you know it's we talk a lot around the job's the easy bit. You know, the whole reason we have coaches is to coach us to be better rugby players, to upskill us and what we need to be skilled in. The reason managers and, and senior leaders are that, at that stage of the business is because the main part of their role is managing their team. It's getting the best out of their people. So in theory, the, the job's the easy bit. The difficult bit is how do you get people wanting to come to work every single morning? How do you get people excited about what they're doing? How do you get them to care about what they're doing? And it's by no means saying the reality is not everyone's going to love their job. I was I was extremely fortunate that I was able to do the very thing I wanted to do and that I love doing. But the real world is very different. And this is a huge, huge generalisation. But what I've kind of learned doing the role I do now is that there tends to be kind of three reasons why someone's in a job. It's either because they love it. Um, or it's because it's a stepping stone onto something else, or it's because it's kind of to pay the bills and the mortgage or whatever. Now, there is no right or wrong in that. Every single one is completely just as justified as the other. But the point is, is until you know why someone's coming in, as I said before, you can never get the most out of them. So, but the reality is as as a leader you want your whole organisational team to be in that first category. You want them to love what they do because if they love what they do, they're going to do it better and work hard and all the rest of it. But The reality is that's never going to happen mm. because not everyone is going to enjoy sitting in an office. Not everyone's going to enjoy sitting in front of a screen. So how do you get the people in the other two categories to get into that first of loving what they're doing, getting excited about coming in? Well, you do that, by actually creating a situation where they're friends with the people they work with, but they generally care about the people they work with. They might hate the physical job, but if they care about the people in their team, there's a much more conscious effort to want to do better for them, if not for themselves. By another way is by actually getting them to understand a bigger picture of the organization. So you get the same outcome. They might hate what they do, but if they know what they do is vital in what the organization ends up doing, then again, they're gonna work harder and try and be better and do what they can. So, so and again, all that all comes down to people. You know, the, the, the funnel of, problems organizations have at the top is so wide there are so many problems but fundamentally the solution is so narrow it all comes down to people mm. but you... logistically within that there are obviously difficulties and, and you know nuances but fundamentally it all comes down to people
0: do you think that was something it might be hard to to well i suppose it won't be hard to answer i was going to say maybe could be in a player you're you kind of don't see the rest of the business but do you think that was something that saris were were quite good at is is uh, is getting the rest of the business buying into that brand and value as well
1: yeah i think what in terms of kind of the the commercial side
0: In, in terms of you know from from say like the the cleaners to the commercial to the kit men to the physios to all that kind of the people behind that that well let, to be honest if you're a physio you probably always wanted to be a physio but let's say you're the commercial side you're in the customer yeah. services or or something like that that is probably those kind of roles where people are just there to pay the bills um, yeah do so you think that was something that saracens were good at is you getting people to buy into the values that everybody was about that that team performing well and the, just being just the customer services and I said that in quotations, you know, if you, yeah. you might think, Oh, I'm just in customer services, but you're not, you're, you're in customer services, which enables will and Faz and Marrow and et cetera, to yeah. be what they need to do. It, what made me think about, we had a guy from America, he wrote this book called the belonging factor and, and creating mm. a, a brand that everyone feels that his phrase was belong, you know, it yeah. like people belong to it. And my challenge to him was, this, was the same was, was like, It's all all well and good from the kind of, I would say Mm. like the board level, people and and senior management upwards probably, they really buy into the brand, et cetera. They want to get this done. It's they're at a high level of their career. They're probably getting paid a lot of money. They might've even trained and become qualified for many years to get to that position. Quite similarly in in the world of rugby players, you know, you Mm. buy into that brand and that that kind of uh, ethos of the team. Well, you know, how do we do that for, the cleaners or the doers yeah. of the of the, the do, you know, people coming in and cleaning Saracens <laughs> club or, or or the changing rooms, you know, they've got to feel that sense of belonging. Yeah. You know, I'm not just cleaning a room; I'm cleaning the large changing rooms. And if yeah, this is yeah. this is in a terrible condition, then they might not perform as well, etc., etc. So, growing that connection between the the end goal, uh, uh, that kind of people on the shop floor, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I think you're spot on, you need to do it and and there are different ways of going about it because the reality is you know if you if you take a startup business and you're the person that started the business and it grows, you end up employing a hundred people, the last person you employed naturally is not going to have the same motivation and drive as you do to make the business successful because that's your baby. you know you've invested time, money, effort into it, and they've cut, they they've been recruited kind of five years down the line. So naturally, there's a huge difference there. But that's where kind of the purpose of the organisation is so important, where the culture and the values are so important, because if they're right, then that, to begin with, should govern a huge amount of why you recruit someone in the first place. You know, they you I, yeah, You should recruit someone 60%, 65% on them as a person when they'll fit into the organisation from a cultural point of view first, and then the other 35%, 40% is done on actually are they good for the job. Because again, it goes back to the bit that you should always be able to upskill someone to be, you can teach someone to be good at a job. You know, it's a lot harder to teach someone to be a good person. So when you talk about cleaners or or whoever it is, um, one of the ways you get that is actually by, again, very simply actually going out your way to talk to them. Mm. Understand them as a person. Just having a conversation with someone gives them a huge sense of value. And what they're doing is important. Gratitude is a great one. You know how how many people walk past a cleaner without saying a word, mm. you yeah, know, and, and that becomes kind of the norm. But it's so you know, anyone, you want, everyone has equal value. You know, as you say, a cleaner arguably has more importance than a lot of people in an organisation. You know, it's and so it's it's actually you know when you see anyone in the morning or during the day saying hello, generally how are you, or thank you so much for doing that, I really appreciated it. You know how. We get so caught up with emailing nowadays that people will email someone that's in the same room as them, rather than get up and go and have a conversation. You know, if someone's done something well, it'll be a generic thank you email, which is great, but actually, if you go to that person and face-to-face say, thank you so much, that was brilliant, really appreciate it, that has 20 times more value in sending the email, do you know what I mean? So it's, again, it's those little bits and, and understanding, and just doing that alone gets by because people feel like they're valued as a person, that what they're doing is important. If you can then layer on top of that kind of this bigger picture of what the organisation is trying to do, and they understand their role within that and how actually their role within that is important, however small or big it might be, then that layers on. But it takes time. You know, these things don't happen overnight. And I say to clients that come on our workshops, like, Yes, you've had a, hopefully had a good day, and it's been interesting. But you're not now going to go away and have a brilliant culture and we'll know each other unbelievably well because you've done this day. Like, that's just not. This is this is a rod up the backside, really. You now need to go away and run with this and figure out how you use it in your, your own context. So it, it's it's, and this is why not, not a lot of people do it because everyone talks it a good game. Everyone everyone will do it to the point where something goes wrong. And then the point something goes wrong, they go, all oh, right, this isn't working. Let's go back to what we did before. When actually at that point when something goes wrong, that's when you need to go. No, this is where we need to completely back what we're doing now. Mm. That's where we need to actually get to know each other more, where we we need to spend more time away from our desk to actually figure out how we're going to solve this problem rather than just keep churning out whatever we're doing. Um, and that's why it, these sustained successful organizations and sports teams are few and far between. Because it's the ones that are prepared. There's this whole term, um, you know, win at all costs. You know, we're going to do this at all costs. We're going to be... And what I often ask is, well, at what cost? Mm. So are you prepared to lose in order to win? Are you prepared for something not to work now, for it to work in the future? Mm. So it's a kind of take sport. Is I prepared to have two or three seasons where you win nothing in order to build, then win the European Cup in the fourth season? Or do you want to win now, which means that you might never win it again? That's um,
0: interesting. I think that that reminds me of kind of Eddie Jones's kind of journey of of like in the middle. So obviously we had that massive period of just win, 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 and then. We just went through this horrendous yeah. period where we were really struggling, and I, and I felt like yeah. just watching it that Eddie Jones has gone. Okay, we, we've established a base, and now it's my time to experiment, play around, mm-hmm. and potentially lose a lot of games to enable us to get to the World Cup final. Granted, we didn't win, but you know we, yeah. we, we got there. Um, and yeah. I, I kind of felt that that was similar to what you've just said in a way.
1: Yeah, but you you, you figure out you figure out more about yourself as individually and as a group, when you go through adversity than when you're winning, mm-hmm. I believe. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm reading a book at the moment where they talk around, there's, there's an element, section where they talk about Apple. And when Steve Jobs came back yeah. to Apple after kind of he left and then came back, you know, he said, they went to and went, simplicity is the height of sophistication. So they kind of had all these products that were doing nothing. And he basically channeled it into four, I think, to begin mm-hmm. with. But initially, People go, well, hang on, what are you do. You know, we're only going to, we're selling 20 products. so We've got 20 revenue streams. Now you want to do four. Like that's going to, mm-hmm. we're going to take a massive hit here. But then it's kind of, well, no, let's make them the four, best four we can or this. And, and yeah. then everything comes back of it. And I, I think it's, it's this whole thing of people get scared when things start to go wrong. And understandably so. But if you know in your heart of heart that you've got you're, what you're doing is the right way of going about it, if you have a longer term picture and aim that's not going back to what we said at the very start of the, this, this conversation, it's not just a plaster, plaster over the, the bullet wound, mm. it's actually healing from the inside out. You know, you, you have to fix the problem. If you keep masking it, then it's the cracks to get so big that you can never repair it. And if you know that what you're doing is doing that, even if you're losing a few games, even if commercially you're not getting the the same returns or returns you want to. But in five years' time, you'll be in a much better situation, a much more sustainable position with much less churn of labour, much less issues and whatever IT, whatever it might be, because you've taken that period to build. And I think that's where in the corporate world, you very rarely see that now because there is all this, especially big companies with shareholders, you know, the the external pressures are are phenomenal. And so that's what we kind of say, well, you know, the reality is you say you want to win at all costs, but if you're not prepared to do this, then you don't want to win at all costs because you don't want to have the cost of losing in order to win. So -hmm. you need to rethink actually how much you want to do this and why you want to do it. Because a lot of the time, if it's, it's short term then it's very individualism it's it's about me you know if I if I get this right this year that will look good on my cv so I can then go do this or if I do this I can get that promotion you know don't I mean it's not yeah. and again there's nothing wrong with that don't get me wrong there's absolutely if that's the way someone wants to be then have at it crack on but yeah. if you're trying to create this team culture then I think you need to think differently
0: I think this relates as well to to, to safety. I mean, think not, not so much from a point of, of winning and losing, but for a point of like, if we if we want to succeed, so for example, we, we all know that, that Grenfell happened a fair few years ago, and a lot yeah. of businesses have reacted to that uh, and started to really critically analyse how they've managed fire safety for a long time. Yeah. And, and now it's like, well, what, what do you want? Well, we want to make sure that it's never our brand on the telly uh grow and or we want to make sure that we never kill 72 people in in one of our blocks or flats again or or, or whatever it is whether even if it's like piper alpha or anything or these big incidents happen and businesses start to critically analyze themselves and the the loss point of view from my point of view is like well that's what you want um so so what, what, what's stopping us, and no, I'll get my words out. I'm trying to say this, I'm trying to bring this <laughs> from your point to my point. So yeah. they, they see those things, and the problem is always we need it yesterday. So, so this has happened, we need it right now. So the problem is that they're not willing to wait is what I'm trying to say. It's like, well, what do you want? We want this, we wanna create a good culture or we want to make sure that we never have a fire or, or, or eliminate all risk, whatever crazy ideas people might have. The, the problem I come across and I think most safety professionals come across is it has to be done yesterday. And, and yeah. that's like people are not willing to take that loss or take that bit yeah. of patience to, yeah. to build this stuff. And this stuff takes time. Like you said, just this journey that Saracens were on, which is a really long bloody journey. And we yeah. see it all the time, but people, people don't seem to have that patience around things. No.
1: And, and, and the reality is, you'll know deep down if what you're doing is right or wrong. Mm. And, and, but I think the problem comes, you said, is that people don't give it enough time to know generally whether what they're doing is right or wrong. Mm. You know, if you, if you change at the first setback, and when I say change, obviously if a setback happens, you've got to learn from it, you've got to, again, you've got to adjust it, you've got to adapt to it, of course. Yeah. But if you fundamentally change everything you're doing because of one setback, then mm. you never, you won't ever know whether that what you're doing is right or wrong. Mm. You need to learn from that setback, adjust what you're doing, and then go with that and go with this. And and I think that's the, but you're right. But the, the patience is, I don't even, maybe patience is the wrong word. I suppose it's, it's probably more just trust, isn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. True.
1: It's a belief. It's a, uh, you know, all, all this stuff, the, the greatest organizations, when you speak to the people that are at the forefront of them or whatever, it, it, it's more than, it's, it's a belief. Mm. It's a, a way of life in, in that what they do is, Uh, it's how it's just breathing for them you know do you know what i mean it's and again you're not going to get everyone to that level but if that filters down then then people will back it more readily um and i think the biggest thing as well is if you're trying to implement this kind of this big purpose or this big belief in what you're doing and all this kind of stuff all the stuff we've spoken about today you need to allow people to disagree with it yeah. You need to allow people to have their moment of saying, well, what about this or like that? Because firstly, there might be a little diamond in the rough there, a little golden nugget. That you can yeah. take. oh, actually, I didn't think of that. That's, that's a very good point. Two, by allowing people to have their opinion heard, what you do is immediately give them value and they feel that they've been listened to and that they've been heard. And so even if they fundamentally disagree with what you're doing, they're much more likely to give it a crack because you've allowed them to voice their opinion.
0: Yeah.
1: And, and three, and maybe the most important one is actually when someone voices their opinion, everyone else learns more about that person. Mm. So if you're in a room of 20 people, and one person stands up and goes, well, hang on, well, that doesn't make any sense. And why fundamentally disagree because of X, Y, Z. Everyone else can go, oh, Christ, I don't actually know that about that person. Yeah. And you leave the room, even if it's only a little thing, you leave the room knowing that person better than when you came into the room, which means that now you're going to be able to work with them slightly better than you would have before. And, and, and then it all layers up. It's just the conversations, are, you know, you learn more about someone in an argument with them than you do in a good conversation with them.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. An argument.
1: Yeah, that's when that's when proper opinions come out. That's when yeah. you know, and and you know you know how they're going to react. To Suddenly, what they like when they get angry, what their social norms are, what they actually think. Because it's not. It's often not until a full-blown argument happens that someone generally says what they actually think.
0: Mm,
1: true. Um, so 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 the point reason so I say that is because in disagreements, that's when you learn.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: but obviously, there's a way of doing it. And then there has to be an ability once you've had disagreement to be able to actually realize that there's an end to it and then deal with it and move on from it because you can't have things drag on and on and on of course there needs to be an ending to it um but i think the principle applies
0: yeah there's got to be that kind of structure and that comes back to what you said earlier is that kind of you know being comfortable in that environment yeah and and i could genuinely talk to you all day about this however i am desperate to talk about the debate at the moment, which is player safety. You, know, you told me you were happy to chat about it, and I and I thought <laughs> yeah. that uh, if we had a safety professional and a rugby player having a conversation, yeah. it needs to be it needs to be had. So let let's do. In your opinion, let's just start at the top. Then do you do you think it's gone mad this kind of player yeah. safety? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, uh, uh,
1: it's not gone mad. I think it's it's getting mad.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um. um Go on, elaborate if you, if you can. Elaborate.
1: But I think for me, like, don't get me wrong, I'm, I am, as someone that got hurt a lot, I am all for making the game as safe as possible, 100%. You know, there's rugby, what I've learned from having to retire early is that rugby is a, is a very short career, sports are a very short career. And you just, you'll, even as a professional rugby player, you'll spend more of your life working, in inverted commas, than you will playing rugby. Yeah. So, people need to be looked after so that they can enjoy their families and not sort of cooked 20 years down the line but the caveat to that is that rugby is a physical sport you know i i got into playing rugby because i used to go down and watch my old man play for the local vets team and used to see these guys bashing 10 bells of rude word out of each other um and then have a beer after and shake hands, you know, yeah. and, and it's that physical, I got into it because of that physical element to that. As I said, I wasn't very quick or very skilled or anything like that. You know, I, I just used to kind of put myself about, but so there comes a point where there needs to an acceptance that if you play rugby, you're going to get hurt.
0: Mm.
1: You know, you're going to get hurt. You're going to break a bone. You're going to get concussed. You're going to probably have a surgery if you play to you know a decent level and all this kind of stuff. It's just part and parcel of the game and i think we get to a point now where we're make, we're making it so safe that we're starting to fundamentally take away the elements of why people play in the first place
0: mm.
1: rugby's a diff, completely different sport now to what it was you know you you watch with with lockdown you know, where you're playing all the old games and the old lines tests and all the rest of it and you watch those back in even 05 09 even mm. and you go into a different sport you know yeah. the, the way the scrum engages the way people tackle you, you yeah, um, and a lot of the things like tip tackling um, was a definitely right thing to do. You know, the yeah. risk of bumping people on their head like is just too too big a risk to take. Agree with that. High tackle in terms of concussions the same, but then the high tackles now just get ridiculous. You know, mm. the pro- the problem is is that there's no um, a few refs are very good at it. I think you know Wayne Barnes obviously totally good. The Southern Hemisphere refs I think are actually pretty good in terms of understanding the ins and outs and issues around the game you know there's some situations where you know someone slips and they get caught high and the guy gets red carded you're kind of looking going well what on earth is he meant to do there's no way he could change that in in point one of a second or or whatever it is so I think we're probably at the ceiling of what we can do to make the game safe without taking the actual purity and essence out of why people love playing and love watching rugby
0: Mm. I mean I'm inclined to agree if I'm honest like I, there's sometimes it's di- difficult, isn't it? Because in the world of social media, ev- everyone's a referee, everyone knows better than the ref, and yeah, and, and but you're right. I mean, if you even look at w- w- England's most celebrated flyer, if you watch some of Johnny Wilkinson's tackles, yeah. you're like, Jesus, that's a red card if I've ever seen one. And Oh, yeah, well, there's one, there was,
1: there was a, there's a viral clip going around of a comment moving mean, south against Wales way back in the day. And I think someone put in 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 this minute clip there would be three red cards and five <laughs> yellow. <laughs> if, it, if that was now, yeah. um, now like we can laugh and joke about it, but it, it's, I think I think it's, I think it's that realization. Like if you don't want to get hurt, then don't play rugby. You know, it, it's as a professional, part of signing a contract is accepting the inherent risk with what you're about to do. You know, every time you take the field, there is that risk and potential consequence that you are going to come off on a stretcher or whatever mm. it might be. Um, it and I think you have, line,
0: have yeah, because if you
1: don't accept that, then you are always going to be bitter or you know have these these regrets, or so you are never going to give yourself to the game because you are mm. going to be worried about oh, I don't want to do that in case I get hurt, and then you don't maximize what you are what you are able to do. And, and I think you know, for there's cause a lot a lot of it is around you know grassroots level and kids. and yeah, I agree. And we want as many kids to play the game as possible and you can argue that that's an argument for both sides of the fence, isn't it? You know, you want to make it safe so everyone can play but then you don't want it to be too safe and you stop a lot of people. But I think it comes down to that very simple idea of, you know, the reality is if you play this sport you're going to get hurt. Mm. But any sport, you can get hurt. Play cricket, you're going to put them, you know, it's 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 just, and you need to be able to accept that that's just the way, the way it is.
0: Mm. And and I think there's a there's an irony in it because I I only I only dabbled with rugby at school and then didn't really play and then came into it about five or six years ago and my my lesson on how to tackle um, was about thirty seconds before kickoff um, where <laughs> yeah. this guy just went. The captain went. Hey, Rob, can you just show that? Yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, yeah. Do you want to do yeah, this? Yeah. That? and that was it. And I think the irony of of all of these conversations is we're debating it at granted the strongest, like, and, and most powerful level of rugby is the, is the Premiership and the yeah. and all that. So so the hits are much harder, and I get that. Yeah. But then on the flip side, you've got all the support, and I I think for the RFU as a as a kind of nation, um, of of Their biggest risk is that kind of those people that have come into the sport at a young age, but never really was taught the basic fundamentals. Because you only get taught the basic fundamentals at your your mini juniors and your kids rugby. After that, everyone just assumes if you're going to play rugby, you know how to do this stuff. And some of the stuff I saw playing at that, I mean, just like a a crap level of rugby. But like some of the stuff I saw, I just thought Jesus. (coughs) And and it's like then the granted the the premiership and that level of rugby is a beast unto itself. And it it, it probably does need, uh, I think, to stop where it is, or maybe just to adjust slightly. But it's what, what you're doing about the grassroots, like you say, what you're the doing rugby. about those people who play social rugby, that just play it to have a point with the lads at the end. Yeah, um, yeah. Because there's so many injuries at that level. Mm. And, and you haven't got the... You know you can't when I started playing the club I played for we were in the magazine for putting seven teams out by the time I left we struggled to put two or three teams out yeah so it, it's like we haven't got the bench to be able to say right you're injured come off so you're getting people that are injured and still playing yeah. you know a full yeah. a full game
1: but you're, you're spot on because it's I mean one thing that we've learned um, almost kickstarted by what happened to us is that rugby is a sport it's not governed well at all you know, mm. whether it's prayer or after or whatever. And I think one of the, you're right. I think what they've gone about it kind of back to front in a way because it's, they've kind of used the professional game to bring these new rules in. I'm assuming because it's kind of the, the visual example. And if we if you're we at that level, then everyone will follow all the rest of it. Mm. But actually, if you're going to make it a genuine change, then you ask someone to go the other way. And you need to be teaching this to kids at the very earliest possible moment. You need to be teaching it at grass over sports. If someone like yourself hadn't played for a while and come back into it, you know, there needs to be a, a protocol before you should be able to allow to play a game that you've done and that you've done your tackling practice, you've done your ruck, whatever, whatever it might yeah, be. yeah. And then what happens then is as these people grow up and these kids become professionals, that's what they've been doing their entire lives. So it becomes a very natural way to then play mm-hmm. the game. The problem, you've got professional level, and it's getting better now, but when they started introducing them a few years ago, you've got six for five, six or six guys that have been taught their entire life to tackle kind of chest on chest because they're that big and and to go up top because that's when you can melt someone. That's I say, that if you're then you're asking them to tackle a five foot nine little lad around the waist and that's when actually you want to get more concussions because that's when you get head on the wrong side you take a knee in the chops you get a hip pointer on your temple whatever it might be Mm. because you're fundamentally asking people to change 15 years worth of knowledge in a day
0: yeah muscle memory i suppose isn't it like i suppose yeah but it's,
1: it's, it's, it's like anything in life if you've if you've done something a certain way and it's Look, as we said, everyone needs to change it. But if you've done something a certain way for 10 years, whether you're changing for the right reason or for the wrong reason, it's very difficult. You need to give people the time. Again, it comes back to time.
0: But yeah. the
1: problem with the rugby is they didn't give anyone the time. Mm-hmm. You know, they made, overnight, they made these massive changes and expected everyone to be bang on it. Mm-hmm. Rather, look at look at um, VAR and football.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, they they went boom, forward with doing everything straight away and it's all gone to pop. Whereas, and listen, mm-hmm. like. <laughs> I have no authority to talk about anything to do with, with any other sport, really. not even rugby, really, to be fair. But, um, but you think, in hindsight, they should have just used it potentially for offsides, and that's mm. it, mm. and let that get embedded. And get and then they bring in maybe penalty decisions, let that, that get embedded, and go you know, bit by bit. Because look at the goal line technology. Everyone was against that, and now it's just part and parcel of the sport. It's, yeah. So I think with where we, rugby, screwed up, is they didn't give the professional game enough time to actually react to these rule changes. And I think we're getting better now, but but there'll be, the problem is, you know, it's one of the few sports in the world that changes its rules every single year. Yeah, yeah. Or even halfway through a season changes its rules. You know, you look at the scrum every year, you get the refs in in pre-season to do a session where they're basically telling the entire squad what the new rules are, or what the new kind of hot bits they're looking at are, which were different from last year. Mm. There's constantly, you know, this whole thing of being able to adapt, and and as players generally, that we're pretty good at it. But
0: how much do you think, like, the fans and, and social media kind of has an impact on this stuff? Because it it's 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 like the perfect picture of irony that, like, say for it, Saints fans are probably one of the worst. You know, everyone loves Courtney Laws; he's our favourite player. And, yeah. you know, I love him to bits, you know, proper Northamptonshire born and bred. I yeah. absolutely love him. And, you know, watching him fold in like French yeah. fly halves in half and you're like, yeah. And then the second somebody does that to one of our players, we're screaming for a card. And, and yeah. we're saying that the ref was one-sided. And yeah. how, how do you think it's kind of like trial by social media and that that the, the RFU is inadvertently or maybe subconsciously put under pressure by the public? Yeah.
1: I think it's just. I think mean, it I think it's just life in general now, to be honest. Yeah, true. I, I, it's the power of social, and this. I this is probably a whole podcast in itself. But the power of social yeah, media is definitely is enormous. I mean, you know, you look at the moment the the good side of it in terms of the the, the amount of money that's being raised. You know, there's um, the old the war veteran, got a Captain Thomas Moore, I think his name is. He's raised oh, over yeah. five million pounds. You know. Yeah. For the, and you see the influence from a good point of view like that, and then obviously, you know, for various topics we've seen the other side of it. But I think with sport, yeah, of course it's you know it's it's like I often liken it to you know like when you go on a holiday and you look for, look for a hotel on TripAdvisor and, trip advisor and you look for a hotel on TripAdvisor and you've got ten brilliant reviews, then you get one bad review. And it's that one bad review that stops you booking that hotel as opposed to the 10 good ones, even if it's got five stars, like, Oh, yeah. someone thought the rooms were a bit dirty. Well, you yeah. go didn't down. have tea
0: making <laughs> facilities. Exactly. <It's> the
1: <laughs> yeah. You can get, you can get a thousand brilliant tweets about something that you've done, mm. then you get 10 bad ones and they're the ones you go. Mm. And obviously you also need to look at them and, and you know, evaluate them for their, whether they're legit or not. But I suppose the point is, is that it doesn't it doesn't take a lot of negative press for people to want to change something.
0: Mm, true.
1: Is that but it takes a huge amount of positive press for it to keep going. Like so, it's it's always the scales always in balance. I think from that point of view.
0: Mm. Do, do the, do, are the players involved in the conversations around like potential r- law changes? Uh, so, like you, you were saying, like, you know, that's fundamental in the the kind of implementing the Saracens way within a business mm. is that kind of involvement of your employees having those conversations, allowing them the opportunity to, to disagree. Do, do, does rugby union and lawmakers do they follow that that kind of rule as well, or is it doing uh, the world?
1: My honest answer is I don't I don't know. Um because I was never I never played to a high enough level to kind of even be part of those kinds of conversations talking to you know good mates that are at that level they are involved in a lot of stuff around player welfare um and you know international seasons and, and all that they are involved in, in those conversations I'm assuming I think some of them you know I don't know what extent they're involved or if they're just mm. kind of asked for their opinion. I don't know. But I think there are some conversations at that level that go on, but yeah. um, but the modern songs I don't I don't really know to be honest. Put it this way, I was never asked. But <laughs> I probably should never have been asked. So, so that was the right thought. Yeah.
0: Fair enough. Right, mate, yeah. you, I'll let you uh let you get on with your day i think that's quite a fascinating conversation but um if anyone's listening to this and they want to kind of engage with yourself and the the saracens way what's the the kind of best way to do that obviously we'll link all the websites and stuff in the description as well but like how how does that work and, and what's it look like and how they do it
1: yeah, so uh, so obviously there's a website, there's my email, so uh, willfraser at saracens.net. Look me up on social media, you know, will underscore fraser89. Um, and yeah, just if, if you want to learn more about what we do or anything that's kind of struck a chord from, from this, then just drop me a note and hopefully we can, um, we can do something about it.
0: Awesome. And uh, if, if the Premiership was running fully normal, who, who would have won it this year?
1: Uh, well, I would say probably Chiefs, mm. but the top four would have been very interesting. They
0: would have won that because shame. I
1: think you guys, you guys are on a good run. Sale are there. Um, I'm trying to think who that, who, who else is not? Bath, um, yeah, I think we're knocking around it. But yeah, it end,
0: didn't it? it yeah, we well,
1: sale buddy coming up. Great, great guns. Mm. Um, mm. And you, you boys started the season phenomenally well.
0: Yeah, and then had a bit of a dip. Yeah,
1: and then had a bit of a dip. But I, I think you would have been in in the mix for sure. But yeah, I have. I mean, just on historical, and haven't played against the numerous finals. I would probably say Chiefs. Yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, what well, I went to watch uh, Chiefs and Sarries a few years ago in the final, I probably. And uh, the with that, uh, I can't, Will Chudley was playing, so it must have been a few. years ah, ago. That would have been what I played in that one. That would have been I the think... when we won the double yes yeah it was yeah yeah because yeah, yeah. um i remember thinking because chadders comes from the club i used to play for in Northamptonshire, and um, oh, okay. so i was full-on a chiefs fan yeah, that day yeah. and uh torture and get beat it was like oh, i forgot to say but yeah i think yeah. it was uh it was a great game but, yeah i remember that it was game. a great game i had a stinker to be fair but it was a good it was
1: we won so it was yeah
0: that'll do yeah well, we um yeah. My, my wife uh, broke her leg at the time like about Oh, three weeks before maybe um so she was in the right. cash and we were like you know cheap tickets at the top of the top of twickenham and um, yeah. I rang them up and was like look i can't i ever need my money back or can we get disabled seats so I'm like yeah get disabled seats we we're like right at the front row like, oh, in the middle of the pitch yeah. it was like oh so good nice happy right. days yeah probably not as good as a view that you had but but still very good yeah, well, yeah,
1: you say that, you've got a big twenty seven <laughs> men running <at> you was so. <laughs> uh Yeah,
0: that's a good point actually. I think I'll prefer yeah. my seat. <laughs> right mate, thank you very much. That was a really good chat. Oh no, you're thank welcome. Thank you Thanks for having me on. Okay guys, I hope you enjoyed that. It was uh just a fantastic opportunity for me, something I never thought I would get to do is is interview a a, a premiership winning rugby player. It's like Argh! like, proper, Ooh! like just didn't even I'm just crazy. It's just I just so... I can't believe I didn't fanboy through the whole thing, if I'm honest. Um, you know, when he's just sitting there casually mentioning Owen and Farrell was Faz, and, and, and you know, just Owen Farrell's, like, pretty much England's best fly-off, debatable, but that's how I think. Anyway, um, and he's just like, yeah, yeah, like Faz, and I'm just like, ooh, Faz. <laughs> uh, anyway, I hope you enjoyed that podcast. Um, yeah, I mean, it was just there's so much to that isn't there like so yeah i really hope i didn't fanboy too much and and you enjoyed that and i hope that you took something away from it and you didn't get bored of it being like a rugby chat and remembered what i said in the beginning which was use this and and listen to what we're talking about, like, forget that we're talking about rugby, and and listen to the kind of golden thread of what we're talking about, which is leadership and culture, which which transforms across everything, like I said in the beginning. So, hope you enjoyed that podcast. If you did, give us a like or drop us a comment if you're listening on Anchor. You know, drop us a voice message. If you're on iTunes, please give us a written review. We would absolutely love that. And if you do, screenshot it, send it to us on all the social medias, which are on your screen, like just here right now, if you're watching on YouTube. If you're not, you're listening on podcasts and you don't understand a word I've just said because you're not watching, then it's Twitter, Rebranded Safety. It's Facebook, as Rebranded Safety. LinkedIn now has our own LinkedIn page, so Rebranding Safety. Um, it's Pretty much Rebranded Safety on all the platforms. Um, yeah come check us out. Come talk to me. I'd love to talk to all of you. I'd love to know who you are, what you're doing, etc. So just engage us on YouTube. Drop us a comment below whether you like this or not, whether you'd like to hear from more rugby players or whether you'd like to hear from different sports stars and I'll, I'll see what I can get going on the old social. I'll catch you next week in the podcast. Safe.